Last week, Pastor Chuck launched us into this series called The Calling. And uh, we talked about belief. And of course, in American Christian culture, it's uh, American Christianity basically states belief is where this uh, spirituality begins. But in fact, it's the call of God. It's the call of Jesus on our lives that really initiates this relationship, this faith called Christianity. Today, we're going to look at the understanding of follow, what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And there's a great story where Jesus invites several of the first disciples to follow him. And it's taken from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And Jason uh, Schlund is going to be reading for us this morning. Jason, if you'll step up. And uh, what we do here is we stand face the middle of the room to, for the reading of God's word because we believe scripture is central to who we are, central to uh, as individuals, as followers of Jesus, and as a church. Jason, when you're ready, Luke 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, go put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats up onto the shore, left everything, and followed him. Jason, you can have a seat. We don't want to oversimplify the concept or the principle or practice here. But when we talk about calling, we want to focus on three different facets of that. First of all, as Chuck described last week, Jesus calls us to believe, to follow, and to proclaim. Today, as we focus on the following Jesus, uh, we recognize that uh, often our faith begins and ends with the belief piece, that we really never grapple with the challenges of discipleship or how we follow. But when we read the Gospels, Jesus rarely calls people to believe. He calls them to follow. He calls them to follow in his steps. And uh, the story of Jesus calling is the story of that invitation, not merely to believe, but to follow him in a variety of ways. One of the classic statements penned by one of the young men that was mentioned in this story, Simon Peter, is this from 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called... Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, I know this is a room full of rugged individualists. Amen? Yeah, if you said amen, you're not such a rugged individualist, but that's okay. Um, but even in Idaho, we rugged individualists tend to be followers more often than we'd like to admit. 
And there comes an inherent risk of following. And, and who we follow or what we follow or where we follow has taken many of us down a path we'd rather not discuss. I have to tell you that one of the great stories of, this is a preacher's story, so I laugh if at least maybe you don't. But this was a young pastor officiating one of his first uh, memorial services. It happened to be a service for a, a war vet. And the dead man's military friends wanted to have a part in the service in the funeral home, in the mortuary, where they honored the, the deceased. And so the pastor, this young pastor, was asked to lead a procession up the aisle to the front of the uh, mortuary, where the entire group of friends, these retired vets, would do a military salute, sharply pivot to the right, and head out into the hallway, a meaningful moment in the service. Well, the pastor came down the aisle, the vets came down the aisle, a, a great salute at the casket, a sharp turn to the right, and they headed through the door, only the young pastor wasn't familiar with the mortuary, and the door he opened and headed into was a large closet. And so this entire honorary procession heads into the closet, dead ends, then has to turn around, come out of the closet. What do you do if you're leading that parade? Come back, they salute it again at the casket, headed down the back aisle out the door. Be careful who you follow. Be careful where you follow. I want to uh, have you join me at the north shore of the Sea of Galilee in this picture. This may not have been the exact spot that this story unfolds, but it's really close. Many of you have stood on the north shores of this sea. And it's fascinating that uh, Jesus arrived on the planet in the first century in this particular area, Galilee. Uh, it was the rabbinic hub of the rabbinic movement of his day. In the first century, it was the height, height of opportunities, the height of privilege to follow in the footsteps of a rabbi if called. And what we hear in the story of Luke 5 is we see this massive crowd of people on the beach listening to the teachings of the rabbi. And just adjacent the beach are these young fishermen. We know there's two sets of fishermen, two sets of brothers at least, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. And they're washing their nets after having fished for sardines all night. I don't know if you've ever fished for sardines, whatever that involves, but they had been up all night. They'd been fishing for sardines and they'd caught squat. Now, many of you fisher people can relate to this story already, okay? Perhaps those four young men were listening to the rabbi adjacent the boat that was on the beach as he was teaching the crowd. Perhaps not. But Jesus calls to Simon Peter and says this, do you mind if I borrow your boat for a few minutes? Now, putting that in contemporary language, it would be a lot like Pope Francis, uh, Katy Perry, or Bill Gates asking you to drive them to the airport. There would be no question. You would love to do that. It was the highest of privileges, the greatest of opportunities, a selfie uh, moment made in heaven and so what Jesus continued to do is teach the people on the beach from Simon Peter and Andrew's boat. Here's where the lessons begin. Following Jesus will imply first a challenge of our status quo. See, when Jesus calls us and invites us to follow, whether it was 2,000 years ago on the beach or today, it will interrupt our routine. It will transform it. I want you to picture these young fellas after a long night of fishing, 
with no results. Now, we who fish for sport, we're discouraged, we grumble a little, we kvetch a little, but our livelihood doesn't depend upon it. These young men had everything at stake and nothing had happened, no fish were caught. And they're washing their nets again, one more time after catching no fish. But Jesus is in the boat and at least it saves the day. The height of opportunity, the height of privilege, the rabbi is teaching from our boat. But at some moment in his teaching, maybe he'd concluded, maybe he hadn't. He says this in Luke 5 verse 4. He says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now try to envision Simon Peter's mentality. Peter had already met Jesus. In fact, Jesus had performed the greatest of miracles. He'd healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. No wisecracks here. Peter had mixed feelings about that one, perhaps. But he'd already met Jesus. But what Peter knew about Jesus, he was no fisher person. And I can only imagine at first what Peter might have thought. You know, man, we've worked all night here. We're, we're exhausted. We're fried. Uh, with all due respect, Rabbi, we're the professional fishermen here. You're a carpenter, a tecton, or a worker of stone, whatever it is you do. The loud crowds have probably scared off all the fish anyway. And we've already washed the stinking nets. What would have gone through your mind? However, in this culture, the rabbis, again, were held in such high esteem. You never questioned the instruction because even if you didn't catch fish, you knew there would be a profound lesson to be learned. And beside that, it was the honor of Jesus in the boat. You just did it and counted it a privilege. But here's what we know about what's about to unfold there and what we know about our own lives. When we follow Jesus, it begins to eliminate the predictability of Christianity. As religious practitioners, when we come together to church, when we make a few friends in church, when we've gone to church our entire lives, and we sit there not really expecting anything to happen perhaps because we've done it so many times before, following Jesus changes that. It inspires something entirely different. There's a spontaneity to the Christian faith when you follow him because he calls you off the beaten path and away from the status quo. Put out into deep water, said Jesus. See, easy believism doesn't do that. Just because I believe in Jesus doesn't necessarily imply that I'm gonna put out into deep water, take a step of faith. And beside that, too many of us are comfortable sitting on the beach. Maybe there's a free meal in here somewhere. Maybe you'll perform a miracle or a healing. That would be cool. Let's videotape that, put it on YouTube. I love to take notes as we sit on the beach. But the deep water, my friends, is where the adventure of Christianity begins. Jesus isn't about a philosophical or theological set of teachings. He's not asking for an intellectual assent to some profound, deep-seated truth. He simply says, let's go, deep water. And listening to the voice of Jesus and the challenges and the calling of Jesus will cause us to put out into deep water. And you're gonna take a risk 
that you wouldn't ordinarily take. Your routine's going to be challenged. You might even abandon it if it's what Jesus asks. That's what following Jesus looks like and feels like. And listen, don't ever be surprised if Jesus asks if he can borrow your boat. Maybe not literally, but figuratively. Jesus has what you, Jesus needs what you have, perhaps, and deeply desires to use who you are and your resources for the greatest adventure. And then secondly, following Jesus implies taking the next step of faith along with the next step of obedience. Again, if I can break it down into two parts here. Following Jesus begins, it starts with surrender, taking a step of faith. Here's what Peter says. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, Peter is saying, listen, man, we've worked our tails off all night. And we've caught squat, with all due respect, Mr. Rabbi. But because you say so, no other reason. It defies logic. It defies precedence. And you know what this is. You are allowed inside the first moment of surrender for Simon Peter, a disciple of Jesus with a real checkered history of thrills and spills, ups and downs in the faith. But in this moment, he surrenders. Have you ever surrendered? In a moment like this where you didn't really know why you had to do it, what the implications were, or what would it cost? Have we ever said at some point, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll give it a shot. I'm no rocket scientist. I'm no super Christian. I'll just do it because you said so. Are we sitting on the beach waiting for the next miracle in someone else's life? Waiting for Jesus to transform someone else? Are we willing to say, listen, Lord, how do you want me to respond here? I'm, a little, I'm in over my head. It's messy. I don't know what to do. And he just says, trust me. Trust me. One of the challenges of the Christian faith, the greatest challenges, is in the call to follow Jesus. And it begins with this concept of surrendering, of yielding to his will. See, I know for most of the first part of my life, I went exactly where I wanted to go and did exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't know there was a choice. And I don't know if you reflect in your lives, you say, hey, I went in this direction, I made this choice. But then maybe once, maybe twice, maybe in the routine, maybe in a monumental moment at the crossroads of your life, you yielded once, you surrendered and said, listen, I don't know what's going on. Jesus, help me. Spirit, give me some direction. Whatever you, language you used, you surrendered at that moment and it changed something in you and for you. Following is first about surrendering. First within our daily routine, in those seemingly insignificant moments when we surrender and yield to say, not your will but mine. 
And then that prepares us for surrender at the crossroads of life. Here's an illustration. Remember when your 15-year-old first started to drive? Remember that great moment? You believed they should learn how to drive. You may have actually believed they could learn how to drive. You even believed in the car's capability to keep your 15-year-old safe. But at some point in your life, if you're a parent, you held a set of keys in your hand and, unless they grabbed them from another source, you handed over the keys to your 15-year-old. Driver's training time. And said, okay, it's your turn to drive. And remember sitting in the passenger seat? Maybe you don't because trauma tends to block this kind of thing out. <laughs> remember that first ride? With all due respect, 15-year-olds, bless you. You go drive. Drive safely. Not knocking the fact that you shouldn't drive. I'm just telling you, feel the pain of the people sitting next to you in the front seat. <laughs> At some point, you had a surrender. See, we can claim belief in Jesus, and my guess is virtually every one of us here does. But it's so easy to keep him in the passenger seat because we still control then the direction we'll go. Some of us may really need to keep Jesus in the back seat. You know, with all due respect, some of us have Jesus in the trunk. Never crosses our mind that maybe he'd like to drive. But it begins following Jesus with surrender. And then the second aspect of this particular point is that following Jesus continues with a commitment to growth, which means taking steps of deepening obedience. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And what happens in this moment is the first chapter of Simon's Peter's discipleship adventure. You know the story. You've heard the story before. You'll hear it again. What immediately happens when they put down the nets? It's a fisher person's dream. They begin pulling up an abundance of fish, not sardines, tilapia, for those of you that are detail people. Think perch. Now, where is Jesus while this is happening? Can you hear the grunting and groaning of the disciples as they're trying to haul these nets over, filling with fish? And you can imagine their faces while they're doing it. Where's Jesus? Did you catch it? He's still in the boat. Do you picture Jesus in the boat in that moment, sitting with arms folded, this bemused expression on his face, face saying, I told you guys this would happen. You know, that's where I went immediately, and that's more a reflection of what I'd be doing probably than Jesus. My picture of Jesus in that moment is he jumps up, goes to the side of the boat, and helps haul those fish overboard. Because that's what Jesus would do. He suffered. He served. It was the fundamental point of his identity. And so... What happens is when we let down the nets, 
we begin to sense this deepening call to obedience. Following Jesus inspires obedience to his teachings, to the Bible first and foremost, but it realigns our core values, our priorities, our standards of morality and purposes one step at a time. This is no overnight fix. This happens for most of us incrementally over many, many years. Three steps forward, two steps back. Read the gospels, it's exactly what happened with the disciples. See, anyone can love someone that loves them. Christianity doesn't have a corner on that. But Christ followers have this amazing capacity to invest and demonstrate unconditional love towards people who antagonize them or criticize them. That's one of the factors that set us apart, those people. Christ followers invest in situations others shy away from. This is a messy day with a messy culture, with messy lives. And you know what we have a tendency to do, friends? Insulate ourselves from the urgency and the messiness because we don't want to get involved, we don't know how to get involved, and we know it's gonna cost us something. That is not the move of a Christ follower. Christ followers step into the chaos, the messiness, knowing that they do it on his behalf. For us, obedience is not something we do conveniently or apathetically or uh, an obedience that mirrors the culture, but we are resolute. We are consistent with this deepening obedience, regardless of what it may cost us, born out of conviction. And it's an evolving response to God's word. Hey, listen, man, you can believe in Jesus. Bless you. Go to heaven. That's awesome. You start following Jesus, let me give you the good news and the bad news. The good news is it's an adventure. The bad news, it's gonna cost you something. And that's why a lot of people stop short of the follow. It may challenge you as you've never been challenged before. But what happens the moment Jesus calls you to do something out of the routine and you say, listen, just because you say so, I'm gonna let down the nets. Your life will change. I talked to someone between the services today. He's not a super saint. He just says in those moments in life when I've surrendered and and tried to obey, uh, good stuff happens. There's some kind of blessing that comes out of nowhere or comes from a place that I expect it to come from, but things change for the better. Just because you say so, I'll do it, said Simon Peter. The third lesson about following Jesus here is that when we commit to following, it transforms life's trajectory. Later in the passage, verse 10, you know, Simon Peter's freaked out already. That's, we've jumped past that. You know, this, these nets are full. I mean, you can imagine the moment. And Peter's first response is, hey, away from me, I'm a sinful man. He knows he's not just in the presence of greatness, he may be in the presence of divinity. He doesn't know what's going on. Jesus, get away from me, you have no business with me. And Jesus turns to him the same way he would turn to you or to me and say, don't be afraid, from now on, from now on, you'll be fishing for people, men and women, teens, boys and girls. After they let down their nets, they set down their nets. 
And following Jesus is about surrender and obedience. And so believe it or not, Peter and Andrew dropped what they were doing. From everything we read, they put their career to the side just to follow the rabbi, Jesus. It was the dream of a lifetime for them. From now on, Jesus said, from now on, things are going to be different. Don't, don't you seriously wish for that kind of moment in your life as a result of the consequence of your faith? That somehow you sense, I've made this commitment and, and God is working in me in such a way that I know it's going to be different. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you may have experienced that more than once. That's the beauty of following in the footsteps of Jesus. You might be saying, you know, I, I get the believe piece. Um, and you sense Jesus is calling me to take a step of commitment. Again, first it's the surrender of that commitment. What are you calling me to do or become just because you say so, Lord? What do you, what, what do you want me to do? But then there's this commitment to obedience. Uh, this deepening and, and more consistent obedience. And if I can reduce, I don't want to oversimplify or treat this subject lightly, but if I could try to um, create a collage of commitments out of the four Gospels, there's really three questions I would be left with that really shape our commitments. Quite honestly, these are three questions that have really shaped my commitment for many years in my growing desire to follow Jesus. The first question is this, and I would have you just reflect on these three questions for a minute, okay? How am I growing in knowledge and obedience of Jesus? It's that part of the commitment to learn and put into action the principles and priorities about Jesus and by Jesus from God's word. Where's the cutting edge of obedience for me? How am I different today than I was three months ago? Explainable only through the presence of Jesus. How am I different today than I was five years ago? Explainable only through the presence of Jesus. See, that's where the adventure begins. The second question is, where or whom am I serving? Think about your kingdom impact. What impact are you personally making for the kingdom of heaven these days? Where are you serving? And let's just start here. This is not a commercial for church programming, but if it fits for you, that's okay too. Am I serving in a place that's making a difference in lives that has momentary, lifetime, and eternal consequences? Begin looking around here and look programmatically, but look relationally. Look around the community. Where can I make a dent in the darkness? Where can I serve? Many of you, and I praise God for you, are involved in the community organizations, both nonprofit and for-profit. The question isn't how I can serve the community. That's not the prime directive for a follower of Jesus. The question is how I can serve Jesus through my community involvement. And it will transform your involvement in whatever organization. The third question is, who am I influencing? And I, I want to say this, uh, family we assume, but I'm talking about intentionally making a difference, pouring myself into the lives of at least one or two other people in the name of Jesus. That's called discipleship, and often we think that's the work of the varsity. Well, there's 12 disciples, I'm not one of them. I'm not mature enough. That's not true. The moment you determine to influence someone for Jesus, you become a disciple. 
And when you attempt to influence people with, for Jesus, you'll find your growth cur- curve steepens as a result. Befriend them, walk with them, somehow impact someone who's on a journey. Those are the three key questions, and I would just have you reflect for a minute. Am I following Jesus? Because how you answer those questions will help you answer the original question. You know, Jesus invited me, he called me into his story, um, real specifically when I was in fourth grade. I, was, I shared this with some of you a couple weeks ago that I was watching a Billy Graham crusade when I was in fourth grade and after the show was done, I just went upstairs to bed. My mom tucked me in, said my bedtime prayer. Then she went back down and I asked Jesus into my heart. I mean, the heavens didn't open or anything, but that was my moment of belief. I didn't know much about calling or following Jesus, but I was in college absolutely convinced I was going to get a master's in social work, go back to the inner city and invest my life in troubled kids. I was passionate for that. That's how I was wired. But then late in my college career, between my junior and senior year, I got this sense that maybe God was calling me to do something else. What I knew I would never do I would never be a pastor. I knew too much. I'm a preacher's kid. Preacher's kid have love-hate relationships with churches. I knew that would not be the calling. And I won't bore you with the details, but through a divinely orchestrated series of moments, God directed me away from social work and into youth ministry. It was really the first time I sensed God pulling me, God drawing me or nudging or pushing me in a different direction. I couldn't articulate what it was about. I I didn't have all the scripture passages down. I didn't understand the theology. I just knew God was doing something in my heart, in my mind. About the same time my senior year, there there was a moment when I said, I'm basically clueless about this dating thing. And that's another rabbit's trail I'm not going to bore you with today. But I said, God, I, you know, I had a slight case of senioritis. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you can't. I don't know where my uh, future spouse was, but I knew she wasn't nearby. That's all I knew. Through this series of divinely orchestrated providential moments, I was reconnected with a girl I dated in high school, this girl named Lori, after being apart for over three years. And trust me, those details and that path was a long and winding road. But 40 years later, she's still my wife. Yeah, please, applaud for her, applaud for her. Many of you know me. I'm no super spiritual Christian. I don't have a direct pipeline to heaven. I'm just a normal guy trying to find my way through life. I just happen to be here because I listened once or twice 
to the invitation to follow Jesus. Um, but I think I am typical of someone whose life trajectory is altered because they begin to surrender and then obey. I've done a lot of reflecting lately about God's calling on my life and the whole adventure of following Jesus. Um, as you know, I'm at this crossroad of sorts. I'm not saying I'm old, but I'm retiring at the end of the summer. Many of you already knew that from a letter I sent out. And I just want to say, that, you know, well, it's not like I'm gone today, but I am so grateful for almost 34 years we've been together, many of us, uh, living the dream, the calling, the kingdom of God. It's been unbelievable. And we're going to form a search committee. We're going to do the thing we always do around here where we'll pursue a great process with uh, deliberation and discernment by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to find another lead pastor at some point. But I'm telling you, you have a great staff. We have a great ministry here. And I believe with all my heart, God's going to continue to bless you. Uh, it's just been a real honor to serve with many of you as long as I have. And here's what happens to old people before they retire. Young people, just so you get this down. The first question people ask is, so what are you going to do after you retire? And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with that question because I really don't know. I don't know. And so I've tried to invent something that sounds spiritual because that's kind of what I do, you know, professional Christian. Like, you know, I'm going to uh, develop a nonprofit corporation designed to evangelize and support Chicago Bear fans. That's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> Actually, it would be evangelizing Packer fans, supporting Bear fans. Um, but I don't know. I really don't. But in the last few weeks, and again, what I do better than I did when I was a 20-year-old is I listen a lot more often and a little better than I used to. It was just in the last few weeks even anticipating this series that I just got the sense that again, I should just do when I retire what I've done for 40 years. And that is just surrender and obey and follow and see what God has in store. Maybe he puts me out into deep water again. Maybe he only trusts me with the shallow water at this point <laughs> of my life. But this much I can tell you, uh, not without thrills and spills, mind you, it's been an adventure. It really has. For the kid who wanted to work in the inner city with kids that were disadvantaged, to standing in front of a group like you, are you kidding me? I had to set out in the deep water at some point and then repeatedly but it's been an amazing adventure. And I wouldn't do it any differently. Once again, I, I just want to listen for the calling of Jesus and surrender and obey as I follow. And so I just want to open the option up for you today if you've never thought about it. If you've never thought about following in the footsteps of Jesus, why not giving it a chance? I want you to quietly reflect in your life and perhaps God has directed you, perhaps he's directing you to this very moment to surrender something or someone, uh, to begin to deepen an obedience, a whole cutting edge of obedience for you. I don't know what it is. It will be unique to you. 
the call to follow Jesus, my friends, is the call to the greatest earthly adventure imaginable. And when you commit to him, he'll call you into that journey and that adventure. And here's the one thing I know after a long time. Once you take those next steps in following Jesus, listen, may not all go well with you, but you will never, ever regret it. You will never, ever regret it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've invited us, perhaps each one of us, into this journey. It's first coming to the point where we believe that you are our personal Lord and Savior, and then next to listen, to surrender and obey as we discover the new adventure you have for our lives. Father, wherever we are on the journey this morning, I just pray your spirit might nudge us ever so gently and affirm the direction or adjust it based upon the leading of the Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for calling us as your followers. In Christ's name we pray, amen.